Greetings, shipmates. Welcome to this edition of Voyage of Rediscovery, a commemoration of the fall 1998 journey on Semester at Sea. Before we jump in, or shall I say dive in, a reminder that you can follow our voyage, access other conversations, check out all participant bios, learn about and contribute to the Fall 1998 Commemorative Scholarship, as well as order swag from sas25th.com, and that's sas25th.com. Dolphins portside! All right, excuse me, let's start the show. In today's episode, we speak with Mark Tavani. Mark attended the University of Pittsburgh and hails from Philadelphia. Before that, though, earlier generations of his family emigrated to the United States from Italy, and he'll share with us the significance of that port to his journey on Semester at Sea, as well as other standout memories. Hop on board, everyone. The ship is leaving. I've started by asking everyone how they found out about Semester at Sea. So what was your story? Semester at Sea was a, a huge part of the reason why I went to the University of Pittsburgh. So I grew up, uh, growing up first in Philly when I was very little and then outside of Philly for most of my childhood. I went to a, uh, a high school that was good high school, very small, a uh, small number of people. And I played football, which, you know, has its own parochial nature. So when I was going to college, what I wanted was as big as possible. And I knew what I wanted to major in. And so I knew I wanted to major in creative writing, not English, but creative writing itself, which really limited the number of schools I could choose from because many schools have, almost every school has an English department, but very few have creative writing. So as I looked around at some of the options that would give me big and creative writing, I really only came down to two. One was Northwestern and my parents were like, that's so far that you'd have to fly. So we say no. And the other was uh, Pitt. And so then when I looked at Pitt, the other thing that became immediately clear was they were the host of Semester at Sea. And because they were the host of Semester at Sea, there was a chance I could get in position to win a scholarship to go on Semester at Sea. Because financially, without the scholarship, there was no Semester at Sea. There was no way I could do it. So I went to Pitt. I started out as a poetry major. I quickly realized I was not meant to be a poet. And I moved over to fiction. And so I worked on that for four years. I also did a lot of theater. But right away, I got to work on trying to position myself to win a scholarship to go on semester at sea. And uh, sometime in my sophomore year, I found out that, uh, or no, I guess the end of freshman year, maybe. Anyway, <clears throat> I found out that uh, I had won it. And um, I was one of three uh, that had this scholarship to go on semester at sea. So I heard about it when I was looking at Pitt, uh, you know, as a, as a potential school. And it was so appealing, you know, one of the two reasons I went to Pitt. Wow, that's news to me. I was not even aware of that. And that's really, really special. Or perhaps I knew it at some point in time. But I remember not only that the University of Pittsburgh at the time was the sponsor of the program, but that there was a bit of a Pitt contingent. Tell me about that. There was. And I knew almost none of them. There were two people who were Pitt students who um, were also Philly kids from my neighborhood. And so I knew those two. Uh, Natalie DeMoria and Brad Worstel. I knew them. And um, so we actually flew out together from Philly to Seattle and then took the bus up to Vancouver together, stayed in a hotel room together. 
and then uh, Brad and I roomed together uh, on the boat. But what I, I didn't know any of the other pit people. When we got on the ship, we quickly meet all of these people who are pit people who we've never met. We've probably been in the same room, same lecture hall, uh, same whatever at the same time, but we never knew it. And um, I became friends with a number of them. Chief among them were two guys who uh, I got to know very well. In fact, I just saw them for dinner on Sunday. That was Ben Riley and Bill Amenta. I ended up being roommates with them my senior year of college back at Pitt. So we have completely stayed in touch. Bill has two kids around the same age as my kids, and they're all, all four of them are thick as thieves. And Ben lives out here in New York City as well. So we all stay in touch. One of the funny things that happened for me uh, long after the trip was I moved out to New York City. Um, and when I did, which you know well, what was interesting about the pit crew was that starting swirling around the, the friendships I made through those two guys, one by one, our friends started moving out, like our pit friends started moving out to New York. And now we've got something like 12 of us that all live here. And it's, it's weird. I mean, I couldn't have, like, I was the first of them to move out here. And I thought, well, goodbye, everybody. Enjoy Pittsburgh while I'm gone. And then they all came up to New York. So that was really cool. So that's one of the things that Semester at Sea has done to kind of shape my life to this day. But yeah, there was a pit crew. And it was really interesting because what you take back from Semester at Sea, I, I, what I don't know is how different my experience was coming back from Semester at Sea to a good community of people who had been on the trip with me. I don't know how different that experience was for anybody who went back to school alone. I can't even imagine it, really, to go back to your college and never have anyone there who has a clue what you're talking about when you tell stories about semester at sea. So I feel very fortunate that I had like a group who knew what I had been through, who had gone through some of it with me and I could talk with. That really resonates with me. I think that's one of the things that has continued to cycle in my mind was the feeling of landing back in Miami and then encountering my parents and feeling like I had absolutely no point of common ground with them and then moving forward with anyone except for that group of people that was on that ship. Yeah. It's a really wonderful thing to hear that you had that yeah. community, which I think made that adjustment period probably a little bit more comfortable for you than it otherwise might have been for, like you said, someone who was going back to New Mexico and had no one else on the ship. Exactly. Before the actual voyage, was there somewhere in particular that you were more looking forward to than elsewhere? Yeah, the thing, the, the place I was most excited to go was Italy. Uh, and mostly because my grandparents were born in the United States, but they were born in the United States very shortly after their families arrived. So shortly after that both of them were dual citizens their whole lives. Uh, they didn't know it, actually, I don't think, because they didn't look into it. But the truth is that because their parents had not yet renounced their Italian citizenship, both my grandparents were born, both uh, American citizens by virtue of being born here and Italian citizens by, uh, by their, their parents still being Italian citizens. But nobody since my great-grandparents in my family had been back to Italy. There was this whole thing, which um, was really interesting for Italian-Americans, which is like, for a a, for a long time, being Italian-American was looked down upon in America, right? You can think of some slurs and things that are still around. Italian-Americans were seen as, you know, lesser, right? I mean, we're not the only group to have gone through it by any means, but I'm just saying that was, that was the case for Italian-Americans. And so 
my dad grew up, he was born in the forties and he grew up in a time when you didn't flaunt it. You know, you only talked about being Italian really when you were around other Italian people, not when you kind of went off into the world. And so my dad never learned Italian, even though both my grandparents spoke it. And he was basically taught, you know, in subtle ways not to be Italian. Right. And then I was coming to college. I didn't know a word of Italian. I didn't know much. I didn't know much about it beyond what we had learned in class. And yet just kind of vaguely, I was like, wait a second, like, I'm going to be there. Like, I'm going to see this, you know, this has felt so absent. So I, I was very, very excited to be the first person in my family since my great grandparents to go back. I did. I loved it. I traveled alone. I just chose in that country to travel alone because I wanted to just take it in and I didn't want to be just kind of like hanging out which in so many other countries I was really happy to do, you know, have, have travel mates, but not there. And um, I'll, I'll tell you this, <laughs> uh, P.S., when I went back, my younger brother was kind of confounded by the whole Semester at Sea experience. I remember talking to him on the phone in, on Thanksgiving from Foligno, Italy. And he was like, but you're just like alone? I was like, yep. He's like, what are you doing? I was like, nothing. I'm just walking around. He's like, that's weird. Two years later, he went on semester at sea, fell in love with the country, later moved to the country, met his wife in that country, and now goes there regularly. He's an Italian citizen now. So anyway, it, it, that whole thing lived on. But Italy was definitely the country I was most excited to go to. Wow. So many of these stories that just come out as I have these conversations that, and in this case with you, because we have prior history, I should know, and that really rings a bell, but that's just remarkable. Your pilgrimage to Italy, did you have anywhere that you felt you needed to visit as a result, or was the importance more about being the first of this generation to go back and visit? The one thing I wasn't able to do on that trip, because it's so hard to get to, of course, we only have five days, right? The one, the place where my family is actually from is called Abruzzo, and I was not able to get there. There was no, there was no real way to get there. You, you have to rent a car, and you have to really take time to do it. I couldn't do either of those things. So I didn't. My brother and father have both gone back to Abruzzo since. But no, for me, it was really just the thing of like, what does it sound like? You know, what does this place that we all talk about smell like? I mean, I knew my grandmother's cooking and it's, it was the best, but like, what is it? I mean, what's, you know, what inspired that? And so just kind of being around Rome turned out to be my favorite. I think Florence is an amazing place, but Rome to me was the most full of life, the most real, the most interesting. And so I loved seeing Rome, you know, the sites there are literally to me, uh, you know, tied for the best in the world with any other city you could possibly come up with, you know, the Colosseum, the Vatican, all of this. And um, just this past Christmas, my wife and I were able to take our daughters to Rome. And it was really, really cool to see those things again and watch them seeing them for the first time. So anyway, I did not get to go back to the place that would have meant the most, but being there was as good as I'd hope. Of the other ports that we visited, do any come to mind more frequently than others? Were there meaningful interactions with people that you revisit in your mind? Yeah, I think about, I think about all of them in different ways, some, some more often than others, but the, there's a couple that really stay at the top. Japan made a deep impression, I think, because it came first, right? Like this was like, this was us diving into the deep end and just being like, whoa, here we are. I just remember so, so many stories about how amazing, um, 
people there were to us, just how kind and how interested and all of that. That was a great experience. But but there's two other countries that really just kind of like, um, one was um, India, which I found overwhelming, but in all interesting ways, uh, the size of it, you know, the, the, the kind of language confusion, like the number of dialects that are there. So even the people there are speaking slightly different than each other. And then I'm trying to figure out what they're talking about. The travel uh, being, you know, uh, difficult, you know, but, but interesting. Um, so I found India really, really uh, fascinating. I would love to go back. But the, the one country that stand out the most was Vietnam. I ended up studying a lot about Vietnam in college after our trip. Like I took one class, it was just about the Vietnam War. I took a couple other classes that, that had to do with Southeast Asia. And um, it's all because I was so fascinated on that trip. I think it was the country I was kind of most nervous about, just because I thought, you know, I just had this feeling like, well, in recent history, we're the bad guys, right? Like this is a country where America is going to be seen a certain way, and I'm, I'm worried about how people will look at us. That obviously turned out to be not true at all, but it was fascinating being there. I, I loved the food. I loved the people. I loved the sights. You know, all of that was fascinating. But the, but I remember one moment, uh, particular, if you, you probably remember Carolyn Fong, who we traveled with, Carolyn and I were walking around Ho Chi Minh City one night and we went to a park. And at the time, hard to picture now, I had long hair, went down to about here and it was, you know, bleach blonde, long hair. And um, we went to this park and we're just sitting there talking. We're just watching people. And um, out of nowhere, unannounced, completely silent, this young girl snuck up behind us. And then without saying a word, she just started braiding my hair. Like she was just grabbing it and just braiding it. And Carolyn's like, are you okay with this? I'm like, I'm fine with this or she's fine with this. <laughs> and it was just really interesting. And it was like, it was just like a fascinating thing to feel other but in a positive way, like in an interesting way, like it just was like, wow. Like I just felt so like, like uh, aware of how I might be looked at, you know? Uh, and it was really, really interesting experience. But anyway, I, I found Vietnam to be the most, uh, the most memorable, the most distinct, the most surprising. I'd love to go back there again someday too. Do you still wake in the middle of the night having had a dream of someone braiding your hair? Uh, no, no, the, the dream is gone. <laughs> the dream is gone. <laughs> a remarkably well preserved. Um, now, this is great. Tell me a little bit about you earned this scholarship and you studied creative writing. Mm -hmm. Talk to me a little bit about creative expression over the course of the trip. Did you write or how did you? fuel that passion oh, man i tell you what uh i could send you some pictures if it's useful of my sketchbook that was the thing that i remember most took a sketchbook with me did a handful of drawings and some of them you know a few of them i felt like caught a moment you know um i took a lot of photos in fact i have my photo book here so i was thinking of taking a look through at the end of this to see if i have any good ones of you that i can embarrass you with but um i wrote i did journal a little bit a little bit of poetry, stuff like that. Wrote a lot of letters home where I really tried to put some life into those. I will say, I, I don't think anything, any great creative work came out of it uh, directly because it, it was so like uh, action oriented. You were just never not in motion. You know what I mean? Like to be on semester at sea and to be like, you know, sitting in the computer lab for hours at a time, that felt absurd. You know what I mean? Like, why would you bother? You know, like do it when you get home. But then when you get home, as a writer, you know, I'm now a book editor, um, so I work with writers, but as a writer, 
your brain is always supposed to be recording everything. That's kind of your job, right? So that later you can unspool what happened. But I will say semester two was difficult in that way. I remember a lot of it, but it was so much, so fast. You know, there's that, that, there's that cliche of trying to take a sip out of a fire hose. And it was like that experience wise, where it was just so much, so fast, so many lifetimes in a hundred days that later I was like, I can't actually parse this. And, and, and anyway, how would you share those experiences with somebody, even through fiction, who hadn't experienced them? It just felt like, it just felt like, you, you know, you had been part of a, an experience that couldn't be shared outside of it. It would show up, like the trip would show up in creative works I would do later. Like I remember writing one short story that was set in Malaysia, you know, things like that. But I don't think I ever found a creative way to actually put down meaningfully what semester at sea was. I don't think that's uncommon. It was remarkably unbelievable. But you have at this point, while you've drank from the fire hose Mm -hmm. 25 years later, I'm sure you've been able to digest some aspects of it. But when you look back on it, how has it influenced your life today, both professionally, personally, in whatever ways it does? Yeah, it, it does every day. There's no, no way around that. And I think one of the main ways I noticed that it shaped me was that my life to some degree, but, but my career has become, I've had a very steady job. I've been with the same job essentially for 23 years, but the job itself is a job where you're taking on new different projects all the time. And I feel like the stamp that semester at sea left on me was take in every experience you can. And I think, I think you could say, I'm going to get to the upside of that. But I think the downside to that, if there is one, is that I've never become like a real specialist in the way that some people I know have. Like I didn't go back to grad school to become like the expert this, or I, I didn't get my MFA, which I could have. I never did that. And I think part of the reason why I never did it was I found it hard to imagine the right choice being picking one thing when you could pick a little bit of everything. And I think that's a leftover from semester at sea. So a little bit in my professional life, I felt like jack of all trades, master of none. And that's cool. Like I still play music like we used to, and that's great. I'm not a professional at it, but I still put a lot of time and love into it, right? I still work out. So exercise is still part of my life, but it's not like I do it in any kind of, you know, official way. And, uh, all, you know, all, all kinds of things like that. So I do think that that's the downside, maybe if, if it has to be, uh, a downside is that I, I've never been the guy who becomes the perfect expert on any one thing. But on the upside, which I think is extensive, is that it has really encouraged me to always remain open uh, to new experiences, to new perspectives. When you're a book editor, a huge part of your job is to comprehend the mind of the author, right? And it's not just one author. I don't just work with one author. I work with dozens. And so when you do, you can't ever be like, there's only one way to write a book because there isn't, you know, however many people there are that write, that's how many ways there are to write. Right. So as the editor, I always feel like you need to be open to their perspective and their experience and all of that. Everything needs to be bespoke. And I feel like a lot of where I got comfortable with that was on semester at sea. You know, I tell the story from Vietnam where it's like, you realize you are the other, just like anybody else might be. And it helps you be like, Oh, so all assumptions should go away. You know what I mean? I shouldn't assume I know anything about anybody because I haven't 
asked yet. So I think that's really good. Uh, I think that's really been helpful. And I also think that uh, semester C, it encouraged a, a kind of like always be game thing. Like you don't know, you know, when you wake up in a country, you only have five days. It's like, you can't just be like, I'm taking today off. It's like, you can't, you just can't. So I think there's a kind of resilience that comes from it because you're like, well, this is it. I only have 100 days and I'm not going to get them back. So I better get out there. So I think some of that has has stayed. But yeah, I, I would definitely say that I, I think back to it very regularly uh, for either inspiration or just for recollection, but it, it feels very present. Last question for you. You're a parent, so maybe this would be directed at your kids, but for any impressionable youth thinking about their future, what would you advise them? And I'll expand it. Obviously, Semester at Sea is your perspective, and that was the program that you opted into. But this kind of experience, how critical is it? And would you suggest that anyone who's able to endeavor to do some similar type of program? I would recommend it completely um, to anybody who was truly, uh, truly up for it. It's, it's interesting. Of course, when you become a parent, it's harder to imagine sending a kid on a trip like this than it was to imagine yourself when you're a teenager. It was safe when we went and no, no, it was no. okay that we were drinking beer on the, what, okay, yeah, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. yeah. Wait, so not even, not even doing the when we were kids, which sure, I, we all have those feelings. But even beyond that, it's like when you're 18 or what were we, 20? I think I was 20 when we went. Like what, I mean, you're not worried about your own safety that much. It's like, and if the worst, I mean, I don't know. Well, when as a parent, you can't, you can't fake that attitude. So, so it would be very nerve wracking and all that. But I'll tell you, it, it makes me the realization of that it makes me look back at my parents 25 years ago and I'm like, what? How did they let me do that? What was wrong with them? My mother passed away just a few years ago. And uh, one of the great memories I get to have is like how excited she was for me to do this trip. Cause she, you know, she, I don't know if she would have done it given the chance. Her excitement for me was so motivating. And so, you know, allowed me to enjoy it because no one was holding me back. My parents were like, I don't know what's going to happen, but I hope you enjoy it. And, um, and I did. If my kids um, are interested in anything like this, absolutely. I, I, I think studying abroad is absolutely something my kids would do. Uh, my wife and I have taken them abroad a couple times already in their lives. And I think they would, I think they would definitely study abroad. Semester at sea itself, I think, I think so. At least, at least one of them I could see really wanting to do it. And I would encourage it completely. Just a couple of weeks ago, this kind of surfaced actually, not for one of my kids, but for um, for our niece. Um, she just came back from a trip to the Galapagos. And then I mentioned Semester at Sea. And I think I had mentioned it to her before, but she had never had a place in her brain to put it because she had never traveled like in, a, in that kind of big international way. And suddenly her, she was all lit up with her experience. And I was like, oh, well, you know, like Semester at Sea. She was like, wait, what was that again? And like when I told her now, she was like, oh my God, I want to do that. And I was like, you should do that. So like, it was really great to see, uh, you know, to see 
a young person who matters to us, like really kind of reacting to the possibility of semester C and me being in a position to be like, I can tell you all about it, I can answer any question, and I can say wholeheartedly, you should go. So yeah, I encourage it. I will encourage it any chance I can. This is not a paid endorsement uh, <laughs> or promotional video for them. Nevertheless, um, thank you, Mark, for <laughs> taking time to, to speak with me and tell me your story. Grateful. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, man. Thanks for checking out this edition of Voyage of Rediscovery. And don't forget to also check out sas25th.com. That's sas25th.com for everything fall 1998. We'll see you next time. And remember, if you're not back by 8 p.m., the ship will leave without you.